Thanks to all who listened and to those who participated in the listener giveaway drawing. The winners are Mackenzie Gordon and Jessica Cardamone. The winners were announced on Instagram and they received their prizes. Today's episode gets real about mental illness and trauma. Please listen with care. Our cultural beliefs and how that's integrated into our treatment, but doing something like this, sharing our story is part of that model. I'm from the Ponca tribe of Oklahoma. I really struggled with therapists and with how my culture was pathologized. And what I also experienced was that I was not able to be my full self in the session. I had decided I'm going to be a psychologist. I am going to work with Native people and incorporate their culture into their healing trauma narrative. And you tell this story multiple times, multiple times, until it doesn't really have the same effect that it had on you before. For generations, for hundreds of years, when we listen to our songs and they're interpreted, we have songs that are talking about battles that have happened. Rather than referring to any of the people that we serve as clients or patients, we use the term relative. Getting real, immersed in truth, intersecting hard conversations with the gospel. We seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us. I'm your host, Rabrina Rettel, Inspired 2021's Woman of the Year, and my guest today is Dr. Anitra Warrior of Morningstar Counseling. Dr. Warrior is an American Indian psychologist from the Ponca tribe of Oklahoma. She has dedicated her career to underserved populations throughout the state of Nebraska. Dr. Warrior has established clinics and partnerships in areas which she can reach children, adolescents, and adults in these underserved communities. Dr. Warrior maintains a strong and notable presence within the three reservations located in Nebraska, which include Asante, Omaha, and Winnebago tribes. In addition to her many attributes, she has earned recognition on the city, state, and national levels. Dr. Warrior launched a nonprofit, Healing Roots Counseling and Training Center Incorporated. Dr. Warrior has also been a mentor, presenter, and now organizer of Frontier Area Rural Mental Health Camp and Mentorship Program, also known as Farm Camp. She has extended the program to Northeast Nebraska under the new brand, Grow Our Own. It includes mentorship across the country for American Indian scholars, as well as developed a program in partnership with the tribal colleges in Nebraska to recruit high school and college students into the field of psychology. Dr. Warrior has a strong relationship with universities and colleges throughout the state and has served as a professor and a member of the board of directors of the Lincoln Indian Center. She has been a part of multiple professional associations, and as a result, 
Dr. Warrior has participated in several professional presentations regarding behavioral health, stigma, and mental illness. As an indigenous woman, Dr. Warrior is committed to developing the workforce within the Native American community. And as a psychologist, she's able to recognize the impact of historical and intergenerational trauma and how her clinic must utilize cultural appropriate and trauma-informed support and services for the students and professionals within the communities that she serves. And now you know why she was selected as Inspire's 2021 Woman of the Year. And I'm honored to sit in conversation with her. Thank you so much for joining us, Anitra. I really appreciate you being here. Yes, my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Would you mind sharing your story with us? Yeah. So I have told this story multiple times. And one of the things that I think is is you unique about it or that fits more with our our type of therapy that we provide is being able to share this story is part of my healing as well. Mm-hmm. And this is something that as we talk further, we'll talk about our cultural beliefs and how that's integrated into our treatment. But doing something like this, sharing our story is is part of that model. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm I'm from the Ponca tribe of Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma and had lived in a small town within my tribal community. At about 17, I had moved to Oklahoma City and ended up actually moving to a suburb, more Oklahoma, which is just a little bit south of Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. And so I was there with my three children. And on May 3rd, 1999, a tornado came through and had just completely wiped out our neighborhood. In that tornado, we had lost 42 people. Mm. And my oldest daughter was one of those that had passed away due to her injuries. And she was she was four years old, almost five. Mm. And my family had all sustained significant injuries. There's very little that I actually remember from that because of the injuries that I had sustained. And after, as you could imagine, the grieving process was very, very difficult for me. And I would say, you know, it took me a few years to, to get my life on track, to move beyond the the grief. And it's not in a way to where that I healed, but I adapted to what my life was going to be like after Mm -hmm. the, after the tornado. So, and I, I think that's important for, for us to share when we talk about uh, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a child is that we don't necessarily heal, at least in my perspective, that's something that I, I don't get over, but it's something that I'm able to adapt to. And I learned to live, I learned to still be successful, to still be grateful and make opportunities or receive opportunities, receive blessings that are put in front of me. And so after I had experienced significant grief and my just my daily functioning wasn't where it needed to be, mm. I started working with a counselor and I had actually worked with multiple counselors. And anytime I shared information about m- my culture, or specific beliefs about 
grief and the experiences that we have, it was really pathologized. Mm -hmm. And there would be times where I could bring up something and it would, the response would be, well, let's, let's look into your medication. And so it really became more about medicating me even more. And that was making me more angry in, in terms of, you know, medicating does not, you, you can't medicate grief. And so I really struggled with therapists and really struggled with how my culture was pathologized. Mm. And what I also experienced was that I was not able to be my full self in the session. This was supposed to be a place for healing. And it absolutely was not that it, it was not a safe space for me. And so after those experiences and my own level of ad- adaptation to what my, what my life would be like, I had decided I'm going to be a psychologist. I am going to work with native people and incorporate their culture into their healing through these Western models. And I'm also going to train people to be, to be able to serve native people as well. And that's how I started. That's how I came into the field. And I actually didn't take my first college course until I was 28 years old and have just been very blessed and continuing to move forward ever since then and have multiple clinics now. I think when I met you, I had five. I now have seven and Mm -hmm. we're continuing to grow and offer training opportunities and just um, establish really strong partnerships with the communities we serve. I'm really sorry to hear about your loss. That is very devastating and life changing. Thank you. Sorry to hear how you were treated after that with wanting to medicate you through that whole process instead of allowing you to heal in a way that was a part of who you are. You know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And at such a young age with the the power differential, when you go and see a provider, that makes the huge difference. And, and you want to believe in this person who is there to provide help, who is there to help you heal. And so I think that was part of what was dragging it out for me and, and almost got into my mind to where I was questioning what my beliefs were. And that was not helpful when I just, I, I needed more support. Mm -hmm. So you said that you have several clinics now Mm -hmm. and are your clinics, what areas are your clinics? Are they here in Lincoln? Are they throughout parts of Nebraska? Yeah, so we're pretty much all on the eastern side of of Nebraska, although we do provide statewide services. So statewide is specifically through telehealth, and we've been doing that through a partnership with the University of Nebraska Medical Center since about 2015. We had started doing the telehealth with them and then ended up providing our own, but I'm located in Beatrice, small rural town, south of here, uh, south of Lincoln. I'm in Lincoln. And then I have a clinic in Walt Hill, Nebraska, which is on the Omaha reservation, but it's a separate village on its own. 
Then we are in two colleges, the Little Priest Tribal College, Nebraska Indian Community College. We are also co-located in the Winnebago Public School. And then we are co-located in the health center on the Asante Reservation. That's awesome. Yes, we've been we've been blessed. <laughs> My husband's actually from Beatrice, so I'm familiar with. Okay, yeah. Yeah, wow, that is amazing. Okay, yeah, and you were a late uh, starter getting mm-hmm. into this, but it was because of your own pain that right. uh, you, you chose to do something with that, which is amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about what is happening in the Native American community. How has the pandemic impacted the Native American community? And I wanted to ask you about this because when I had another guest on, Alex, he had told me about a lot of the infrastructure there that it caused a lot of illness because in at the Omaha reservation, because they did not have the infrastructure to care for them the way they needed to. And people were getting COVID very easily. And then also that, that there was this pact going on. This was last year, I think, with the youth in the community where some were committing suicide. So I wonder if you can speak to how the pandemic has impacted. So in in general, you know, when I think about the the population in general, you know, we've seen an increase, of course, in anxiety and in depression, but we've also seen strengths come about. People are doing more self-help, seeking out more resources for their well-being, and people have been a bit more empowered in terms of learning more about mental health, about learning more about the services that are offered, learning more about self-care, and really understanding that self-care Although that could include things like, you know, how you take your bath or your nails, some self-indulgences, but self-care also includes things like having regular medical checkups. What's your sleep hygiene? What's your diet like? And also looking at social determinants of health. So what, where am I with my, with my income? What is my housing looking like? That's all part of self-care. And so we've seen significant increases, at least throughout our clinic anyway, we've seen significant increases in that. So as much as we've seen struggles with the, the pandemic, we've seen so much strength come about as well. now with within our tribal communities, I think you know they're they're limited in terms of what is available through the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And this is part of what is provided through the Indian Health Service. With their staffing, you know, they're always underfunded, Mm -hmm. always underfunded. So they have to do a lot of referrals. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really tragic at, at what rate they're funded. And so this can create some, some significant barriers, definitely gaps in, in what healthcare can look like. But I want to say that the, the tribes were so 
innovative in terms of how they serve their people. So when we had individuals that were diagnosed with COVID, you know, they provided housing for them and they had people that were taking food to them, you know, so they really came together as communities. Mm -hmm. And that was really amazing to see. I remember in one of the communities, the first the first time they had someone in the community test positive, he was at his home and there were multiple members of that community that came to his house and he, you know, he opened his window and, you know, they didn't know because this was very early on. So, you know, they kept their distance, but they prayed for him. They sang with him. They brought him food. And this was very early on in the pandemic when, you know, everyone was really, really afraid of it. And mm-hmm. so I thought that was just really amazing that they were coming together mm-hmm. like that. So right now there um, are strong efforts at um, getting people vaccinated. Not everyone's comfortable with that at, the, at this time, but they are really providing a, a significant amount of education to their communities to work with them to get vaccinated or to, to stay safe, to just, to to keep themselves safe, to keep their other community members safe. So it was, but it was still definitely a challenging time for them because there were a number of deaths in the communities and with our customs, our beliefs, our traditional practices, there was so much that we could not do because of social distancing, just being safe. And and the way that the funerals were sometimes happening when someone had COVID and this was early on and having to keep you at such a distance and not allowing the family members to be there, it's it was really difficult and has negatively impacted what that but adaptation or or healing would looks like for people. So that's been a significant challenge for individuals. And then of course, grief, you know, because a lot of times we have our family members that are in like experiencing chronic grief, I would say. And, and that really comes down to us all being connected. We're all, we're all related. And so there's when we have extended family members that that pass on we're we're all grieving that and and so it's it's a part of what keeps the community together a part of what keeps the community strong but it's also you know something very difficult to to work through so the the deaths that happened in the community absolutely were hard and not being able to follow our traditional practices for that you know impacted that as well but then the isolation happened we had a lot of people who were struggling with sobriety and just being isolated the fear of the unknown and the misinformation that was really challenging and i think even a year and a half into this pandemic almost 2 years we're still not getting accurate information and and that continues to create angst it continues to create even anger with people mm-hmm. and so that that isolation changing rules or changing the the DHMs the protocols 
it really has people feeling lost in what do I need to do to stay safe? What can I believe? And we provide information about, you know, who are your few resources. So don't read everything from everybody, you know, really keep it limited to resources that you trust and let those guide you. And so that has really been difficult. And then also with work, you know, the impacts that that has had in terms of maintaining employment or feeling comfortable being in the offices. But I think overall, our tribal communities have been very flexible, have really worked hard to support their families and help everyone maintain employment. But, you know, not everyone felt safe going back. Once we started going uh, back into these locations and seeing people face to face, not everyone was safe or, you know, feeling safe with that. And so some people chose not to go back to work. And I, I completely understand that, especially when you have people with underlying health conditions, you want to keep your family safe. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a mix of, of a lot of things. So there were there were definitely challenges, but there were also times of strength and people really pulling together. Well, you mentioned when you were going through your own grief and seeking help with that, that you wanted to be able to incorporate your cultural heritage in your healing. And uh, you felt that you were not understood or misunderstood or considered that you needed more medication because it, they did not know what to do, you know, mm-hmm. with your or understand your cultural heritage. So I'm wondering in your practice, talk to us about how you incorporate cultural heritage in helping our Native American brothers and sisters with mental health. Yes, absolutely. You know, so within Within counseling, when you provide the service, you typically have to, we we bill or we have grants that cover the cost of service. When you're billing with insurance, there's, you know, of course, the managed care companies and they have expectations and there are gold standards of what therapy should be, what type of therapy you should provide. One of those gold standards would be cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's actually my theoretical orientation, that and and person-centered. But with cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, the reason that I, I am fond of this orientation and I utilize it is because it really fits well with some of our beliefs. So, for example, one of the, this is a small but powerful exercise, which is thought stopping. And within CBT, there are different ways in which you are told to practice the thought stopping. It could even be imagining yourself screaming in your head to stop. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just part of it. So it's, it's really comes down to you taking control of your thoughts and how you imagine yourself taking control of your thoughts and what actions you need to take to have control of your thoughts. Within our tribal culture, this is something that we've been doing for time immemorial. So when we go into sweat, we go in there to pray. It's you know a significant amount of time of prayer. We control what we're thinking when we go in there. 
Mm-hmm. When we step into the arena to dance, we're taking good, good energy in there. We're not going into the uh, stepping into the arena, stepping into that circle to cry, to be sad. We take control of our thoughts. When we do beadwork or when we're making our regalia, we change our thoughts during that time. And we're focusing on prayer because whatever we're making for someone or making for ourselves, we want to put that that positive energy into that, what we're making and share that with that individual. For whomever is going to be wearing uh, what we're making, we want it to have that positivity. Those are ways that we're doing thought stopping already. That's mm-hmm. already a part of our culture and just being able to explain it in that way that that came first, that came before the research research was done on CBT, before it became an evidence-based practice, we were already doing things like that. Mm-hmm. So, and that's just one example. The other one that I would mention, because we do so much work in in trauma, as I mentioned earlier, telling my story is helpful for me. And with CBT, there is a trauma-focused CBT. So within that, what happens is you essentially work on coping skills and then move into sharing what's called a trauma narrative. And you tell this story multiple times, multiple times, until it doesn't really have the same effect that it had on you before. Mm -hmm. And if it does, you know how to self-regulate, you know how to challenge your thought process. This is something that's also been done within our culture, again, for generations, for hundreds of years. When we listen to our songs and they're interpreted, we have songs that are talking about battles that have happened. We have songs that are talking about the time that someone went to a reservation and and or there was there was a fight or we lost someone in war or you know about any of the the world wars that we've had you know we have songs about those and those are still being sung with our people and and we know that and we come together for that and we go through that process of that trauma narrative and so that's another piece of an evidence-based model that we had already been doing so that's just another another example of how the culture itself is healing and it comes down to recognizing okay, how does this fit into the work that we're doing, Mm -hmm. but also recognizing and giving that authority that that was already happening. This Mm -hmm. is already something that was within our people in ways that we're able to heal. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Because when you said that thought stopping and how you can control your thoughts and that, you know, that's part of 2 Corinthians 10, 5, when it says that we take every thought captive. And uh, make it obedient to Christ. But yeah, that is pretty interesting that that is part of uh, what you do, one, in your therapy, and then two, as when you, you said, when you go into the arena to dance, that's part of you know your heritage of what you do. And then when you said about the narrative-focused therapy, I am actually in a cohort right now that the focus is it's narrative focused trauma therapy, which is the okay. telling of your story. And so mm-hmm. it's so incredible 
that you all have been doing this and this has been part of your heritage and your culture and how it is part now of how we do handle mm. trauma. You know, because I, I went to a retreat at the St. Benedict Center and it was a retreat about anger because I was angry. <laughs> and I said, when I saw that retreat, I was like, you know what? I might need to go to that. I remember the individual who was leading, uh, he, was a, he was a priest and a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And I remember he had us pair up and tell, and he said, you know, you need to tell your story. And there were some people who were very reluctant. They did not want to tell their story. And they said, well, if I've written my story down, you know, isn't it enough? And then I remember him saying, no, you have to tell your story. Like you have to verbalize it. And that is the way you process it. So that is interesting too, that that is part of what your your heritage is, is to tell the story because a lot of us in our community too are storytellers. Mm-hmm. You tell the story so you will know generation after generation after generation. And it's whether the story is a happy story or a sad story, but you still share that story. So yeah, I find it very fascinating that that is, um, yeah, part of your heritage and it's now part of how a lot of us are learning to deal with our trauma. So talk about some other ways, because we had talked before about sometimes using some of the things, rituals, I guess, saging and how you feel like your clients are an extension of your families. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So starting with our our clients, I don't typically say clients. Within our practice, we call everyone that we work with our relatives. And that's been something that I think it's sometimes an adjustment for our new clinicians that join us. But after they work with us for a bit, they understand that, okay, this this is real. And our our perspective on this is one, as, as Native people, you know, we do believe that we're all connected. There is a way that we are all connected, a way that we are all related. And we we embrace that in the work that we do. When you think about what's happening in the counseling session, you have someone in there with you that is sharing intimate details of their life that they're more than likely not going to feel comfortable sharing with anyone else, but you create that safe space for them. That's an honor to be a part of that journey with someone. That's an honor to be a part of someone's healing, to be a part of someone's growth. And that's something that should be respected and revered as a relative, as a strong relative. And so in our work, rather than referring to any of the people that we serve as clients or patients, we use the term relative. And we mean that because we also do more than just the 50 minute or one hour session. We are involved in the communities. We are part of various events. So if someone is having, excuse me, maybe a a celebration for their family member, we're a part of it. And we're we're thankful to be uh, invited to things like that. And we, we stay very aware of boundaries and, you know, what those clinical guidelines are. But at the same time, we really embrace that the power of that relationship and being a relative and 
letting them feel that as well. Because the research has, has also shown, when I take it back to a Western model, the research has shown being able to have a, a secure relationship or a strong relationship with the, the person that you're serving can make a huge difference in terms of them accepting what the treatment model is and following through with the recommendations outside of session. So we take, we take that a step further and, and have really adapted that to our culture. And again, we're all related. We're all connected in some way and we we're serving our relatives. Mm, That's beautiful. I believe that we're all connected. Also, I I do Mm -hmm. believe that whatever one person does, it affects someone else. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's always, there's like a domino effect. Like Absolutely. everyone is interconnected. I, I truly believe that. That mm-hmm. is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that you uh, call, call your, the people that you serve, you call them your relative. I just love that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's an, it's an adjustment for, for our, our new clinicians, but once they spend time working with us and, and understand the type of training that we provide, it really makes sense and, and shifts their, their form of thinking in, in terms of how they view those that we serve. Morningstar Counseling is located at 2641 South 70th Street, Suite A in Lincoln. You can call Dr. Warrior Office at 402-327-9711. Or you can go to the Beatrice Office, which is 500 Market Street, Suite 2. And that phone number is 402-540-2303. You can also follow Dr. Warrior on Facebook. The link will be in the show notes. So you said you train other clinicians. So they're mm-hmm. also to serve Native American people. And so give me just an overview of what that training would look like. Yeah. So whenever we start with a new trainee, part of what we practice right off the bat is doing some self-disclosure. <laughs> and this pretty much goes against what our training says, because it's it's about clinical intent, but there is clinical intent when we're making that connection, when Mm -hmm. we're establishing rapport, when we're showing that we're connected, when we're showing that we want to be connected, there's clinical intent behind that as well. But the way that it's portrayed in training in school is like, stay away from that. Don't go there unless you absolutely have to. It's not about you, but that really can strengthen the relationship And we also know that shared experiences can really help people bond and understand what what healing can look like. And so if there's a way that you're connected in that sense, that's powerful. And that's something that should be used in a way that you respect your relative in sharing that, that level of understanding that you have. So that's typically one of the ways that we start off. But then we also go through and provide a great deal of training in terms of outreach to the community. And how our work is not your typical counseling work. You are going to be part of the community. And we provide a lot of didactic training in terms of things that are happening. So they'll understand about historical trauma, the impacts that that has on the workplace 
families, boarding schools. We talk about that as well. Missing and murdered Indigenous relatives. That's another area in which they receive training. And then even an understanding of the differing laws that we have. So there are tribal laws, and then we have our federal laws, and then we have our state laws. Mm. And we need to aware of all of those. And so that's, it's, I would say about the first month is just an orientation to all the aspects of working on a reservation. I don't think we even cover everything in that first month, but we do the best that we can before they start working with our relatives in the community. So it's a very unique training opportunity. And then we have, we partner with the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center to provide the trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, but in a version that's been adapted for Native people. So all of our all of our trainees have to go through that training and they don't have to receive the certification unless they want to take the additional testing, but that is a requirement for us as well as the parent, uh, parent-child interaction therapy is something else that we offer, but that also needs to be done through an adapted version for the American Indian population. Mm, wow, that's incredible. That's a pretty intensive, pretty intensive program with us. Mm -hmm. I am so glad that you mentioned about the historical trauma because generational trauma is real Mm -hmm. and undealt with trauma stays. It stays with Mm -hmm. you. And I've been reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. It is Mm -hmm. in your body continuously. Mm -hmm. And then you pass that on to the next generation, you know, your your tenseness or whatever your triggers are. It's just a continuous thing. Wow. That is pretty incredible that uh, it is extremely in depth and deep to the core of an understanding of uh, the people and all that they have dealt with. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be overwhelming, you know, and we make sure that we take care of our trainees, we take care of our clinicians. So we're, we're, we see ourselves as a family as well. And we make sure so today, I had supervision with one of our trainees. And when she started the session, it just felt different. And so I had asked her about that. Like, I'm I'm feeling something different. What's going on? And so she let me know she had a session right before we met. And it was just a really, the, the relative was going through so much and, and she just, she carried it, you know, she held on to that as, as a provider who cares. And so I had asked her if we could just take a break and she could go get some fresh air or have something to drink or smudge, whatever she needed to do, but to just take care of herself before she moved on. Mm. And so that's, we really try to look out for our team members and be aware of changes that we see with them and really support what their healing needs to look like, what their self-care needs to look like, what their beliefs are. You know, we, every, every other Tuesday, we have a a team meeting with all of our, our admin, all of our clinicians, and we always start our meeting off with a moment of reflection. And we call it a moment of reflection because 
Many of us start at almost every meeting with prayer. And that's very typical within our culture too, is everything that we start, we, we start with prayer uh, and often end it with prayer as well. And knowing that there are differing beliefs, we've, we've titled it a moment of reflection to give everyone that chance to start these meetings with individual prayer or a time of silence, a time of reflection, whatever you need to take care of you. So we're bringing this into our workplace to make it natural to be whole, to be your true self Mm -hmm. when you're working as well. Mm -hmm. That's really important to us for for our own well-being. Mm, That's good. Okay, so you mentioned prayer, and then you mentioned uh, smudge. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the smudge. Smudging is where, depending on what tribe you are, you may do it in different ways. But here, most often, it's either with sage or cedar. And with this, it's it's a way of cleansing yourself, cleansing your energy. But even beyond that, it's it's like the smoke is also carrying our prayers. So when you're doing this, that is a time of prayer, of, of deep prayer, but also almost like a higher level of connection. We have people that will smudge for sometimes daily. That's how they start their their daily prayers with smudge. And you know, when seasons change, sometimes we have people that will that will do that or use cedar during that time. It's also used as, you know, it would be considered like, like a blessing to be able to connect in that way and, and pray during that time. So it's a pretty powerful, I guess you could say ritual, but a, a pretty powerful custom that we have and one that we really incorporate into our clinic and, and to our clinical work. Mm. So when we have people that are going through those difficult times, we, we remind them that, you know, we have cedar here. If you have your own sage, you're more than welcome to use that in session. And we, we have many people who do and start the session. Sometimes some will end the session with that as well, but a very important part of our work for our relatives, as well as for our team members. Mm. This has been a very enlightening conversation. I've learned quite a bit, actually. And you are a phenomenal woman, let me tell you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I am so encouraged by your work and inspired by your life and your way of overcoming so that you can uh, pour into and help others. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you. You know, in our in our work, whenever we whenever we talk, our our message is always about being a good relative, mm. and and ultimately, that's my goal is to just be a good relative. Mm. And well, I think you are. <laughs> well, Thank you. <laughs> well, I I'm sometimes the silly auntie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what I'm most known for is being the silly auntie. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to um, just talk to my listeners and to help them understand uh, what's going on in mental health arena in the Native American community and also everything that you're doing, you know, to help your relatives. 
I'm also wondering if you could let us know how do we, if anyone was to connect with you, how can they connect with you? Yeah, so the easiest way would be to go through our website, which is morningstar-counseling.com. We could probably put that in the show notes if you have that's morningstar-counseling.com. And we're also on Facebook just as Morningstar Counseling. We're on Instagram as morningstar.counseling. And our number is 402-327-9711. And we really work with people to because this is supposed to be, you know, for, for your healing, we try to keep any type of financial challenges out of the way, you know, so we do a lot of grant work, we work with our, our trainees, and we provide a lot of pro bono services. So we're, we understand that sometimes it can be really challenging or difficult. So we really try to overcome any barriers to receiving services. So do you all accept donations? We we have accepted donations to help pay for different people's uh, accounts, but we we are a for profit clinic. Mm. We have started we started a nonprofit last year, and that nonprofit is called Healing Roots, and it goes back to historical trauma. To but not just for American Indians or Native Americans. That's for all people of color, all marginalized people, because what we saw during the pandemic were the the level of disparities were exacerbated when we started seeing what was provided for people of color, what was available to those with with differing perspectives just in life in general. And we we had, you know, at one point, we were providing services for the Black Leaders Movement. So this is with some young people here. And so it's part of the the Black Lives Matter, but this was the Black Leaders Movement. And we had young people, high school students that were getting death threats here Mm -hmm. in Lincoln. And so we were providing pro bono services to them and just recognize like we do not have enough providers doing outreach. And so we started Healing Roots, our nonprofit, and we'll hopefully be able to provide more services through that. We were able to get a crisis line started for one of the the reservations that is specifically staffed by Native people. But we're, and then we also work with some of our, we have some providers who are bilingual and so really trying to do outreach for that community as well. So, but that's, that's the bottom line for Healing Roots is to make sure that we're serving all marginalized populations. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll put that link in the show notes also. Thank you. Okay. Anisha, I want to thank you again for joining us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of the show and talking with your listeners and and sharing my story. I truly appreciate the time. It was an honor. Thank you. Dr. Warrior is such an inspiration. Don't forget to follow Dr. Warrior on Facebook, Morning Star Counseling. 
Also, if you'd like to learn more about Native American culture, heritage, and contributions, check out a few documentaries available on pbs.org. There's one that I watched titled, How Do Native Americans Maintain Their Culture in a Dominant Society? It showed how relocation changed the geography as well as demographics of American cities. The link is in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, give Grit Getting Real Immersed in Truth a five-star rating. Follow and share. I'm taking a break, but we'll return in February with more real conversations and a few solo episodes. When I return from break, I'll have another drawing for my international listeners. So stay tuned. In the meantime, check out my other podcast on Life Audio, Mama Take Heart. It's designed to help moms be the compassionate, gospel-centered, and influential voice in their girl's life. Getting Real Immersed in Truth podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, Rabrina Rettel. Original music by composer Michael Coffey of Handcrafted Studios. Connect with me on Instagram at Rabrina Rettel and check out my website, RabrinaRettel.com. Until next time, keep your grit up by getting real while immersed in truth. <laughs>